The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawk Box. I'm Jeff Cutmore with Steve and Karen. Let's get into your headlines this morning. The Bank of Japan launches an unprecedented expansion of its QE program, pledging unlimited bond buying. The ramp up in monetary stimulus pushes Asian equity markets firmly higher. Chinese industrial profits fall 35% in March, but recover from the steepest drop in a decade as nearly a fourth of sectors uh, see an increase in activity. Deutsche Bank posts a surprise profit in the first quarter as the German lender pre-releases earnings, but warns it will miss its capital target due to a recession caused by the virus. Our survival is at stake, warns the CEO of Airbus, reportedly using a memo to staff to say further job cuts are coming as the French aerospace giant, quote, bleeds cash at un- unprecedented speed. And in the UK, the Prime Minister Boris Johnson has returned to Downing Street behind me late last night uh, to start work on a plan to exit the lockdown here in Britain. This as Italy's factories reopen, Spain allows children outside and France looks to approve its exit plan in Parliament. Welcome to the program, everybody. The Bank of Japan plans to boost its bond buying program to unprecedented levels to help the Japanese economy combat the coronavirus crisis. The central bank has pledged to buy up to 20 trillion yen of corporate bonds and commercial paper, almost tripling the previous cap of 7 trillion. It has also scrapped its previous guidance to buy around 80 trillion yen of government paper this year, instead saying it will buy, quote, as much as is needed to keep the yield of the 10-year bond at zero. Well, let's bring Karen and Steve back into the conversation. And very good morning as we swap positions this morning. And I'm back in the office. And uh, Steve, you stay on the road, Karen back at home here but let's just focus on the bank of japan decision for a moment guys in the realm of do whatever it takes monetary policy i think japan has just yet again hit the ball out of the park here but the reality is karen the bank of japan's been here for some time i'm just not sure how much difference this is going to make to the way people think about japanese assets at this point Jeff, there's no limits now on the bond purchases, which means we've reached the limit, doesn't it? We're at the very end of the perimeter. And I think a lot of investors now looking at all the action from central banks and they're trying to work out the difference in the monetary policy. You used to see foreign exchange trade on those interest rate differentials. That started to wane in recent years. And now as we have this crisis, who can tell the difference between the BOJ and what the Fed is even doing, the ECB at this point, as we talk about the key central bank meetings this week. And that's the problem as we talk about the 
extension of the maturity on some of these corporate bonds too that the BOJ will be buying from three years to five years. It means that the problems stay with us for a much longer window. And the ECB, will it go down the path of junk bonds? The Fed at this point, will there be more action this week from the central bank? So I think investors are starting to question whether we're moving into deflationary spirals, very much like what we have seen from Japan in recent years. And for the United States, that's a problem. You've started to see some of those interest rate or inflation expectations down the line start to wane. And that, that is a, a huge problem as the Fed targets 2%, but may get nowhere near that range in coming years. So I think the BOJ is a signaling function for markets, Jeff. Um, I don't know what it's saying to markets when it owns all the markets, Karen. Therein lies the problem, doesn't it? The JGB market, what do the uh, Japanese BOJ already own of the JGB market? 50, 60 percent, somewhere between the two, isn't it? What about what else it owns out there as well in terms of commercial paper, in terms of ETFs on the Japanese equity market? What percentage of ETFs? 70, 80 percent? The point is they own masses of this already. So my problem is what are markets if it is just owned by the BOJ, if it is just owned by the state? So the signaling from markets about what they think uh, of these measures is surely very limited. And just going back to the very original point, which I think you've both touched upon as well, by buying, um, what is it, that $743 billion worth, or taking the limits off anyway, um, they, they were never anywhere near hitting their limits anyway. So I'm wondering how much of this is just for show, to show that they're taking action out there, or is it a third factor, which we haven't mentioned yet, and that is they're just worried about the plumbing, uh, as indeed we were in the US repo market late last year. Is this about plumbing? Is this about liquidity and concern about shortage of various assets, including, of course, the dollar? I think uh, they're all terrific points. And I think, Karen, you, you raise an interesting parallel with what the Federal Reserve is doing here. So we have uh, watched the actions that Japan has taken and um, it's taken these, um, uh, these new initiatives over the last 20 years as it's managed its own deflationary economic situation. And then we've seen the European Central Bank go, we'll do whatever it takes. And now we're seeing the Fed run down that road. And I guess it raises all sorts of questions as to whether we see the most important central bank in the world, the Federal Reserve, ultimately taking a look at some of the initiatives. One, whether it targets the yield curve and the 10-year specifically, as we're seeing the BOJ do here now, to try and keep it somewhere around the zero bound. And the second point is, is it feasible at this stage that we see the Fed actually go where the Bank of Japan has gone? And that means purchasing equities through ETFs at some stage to manage that market. Right now, we see equity markets performing strongly on the back of all this stimulus. But at some point, the economic shoe has got to drop, one imagines, Karen. Which would just be extraordinary. We've already had a conversation about whether the companies that have had assistance from the Fed should be embarking on share buybacks and dividends. Any further ownership, uh, any further entry by the Fed, you can imagine, would change uh, the view on capital markets completely. I think when we talk about the bond markets too, and you talk about any steepening of the curve down the track between the twos, the fives, uh, the tens and the thirties in the United States, you've already seen uh, some record lows on that five-year yield. So as we talk about the BAJ moving out the maturity 
maturity curve, not just talking short term now when you've got extension of that maturity to five year, you start to see some more anomalies in the bond market, surely you'd have to think. And uh, I think many will now be continuing to watch that bond market and the action. And I think just those inflation expectations starting to wane is certainly a very negative signal. We've seen the bond markets move very aggressively first and then equity investors often having to follow in genuine crises. And this might be a similar situation. So I think this week from the Fed, will they stand pat? And that's the big question because if you've had further action from the BOJ, will you start to see uh, the markets egg the Fed on demanding more or whether it can simply just hold back at this point, waiting to see what the impact of all these measures that's unfurled will be. So I think that'll be the question for markets, just how much more action, how much more of a signaling function this week we'll get. And don't forget it's been quite calm because we've had earnings season. Investors have uh, had the markets sort of going back to a high level. But if we get more earnings out this week, we don't get the right signal from the Fed. It could be a little bit destabilizing for markets, Jeff. We're going to wrap it up. Thanks so much. We'll come back to the conversation in just a moment. Here's some other stories that we are focused on. Profits at Chinese industrial companies fell nearly 35% year on year in March. That decline marks a slight easing from February's 38% drop, the largest fall since 2010. Only eight of 41 sectors recorded marked profits in the month, a sign the world's second largest economy is struggling to recover from the outbreak amid lagging domestic and international demand. Well, we've shown you what the Asian markets have done on the back of that BOJ announcement. Let's just um, fill in the blanks here. This is uh, where we left business on Friday. And as uh, Karen pointed out, we've got some important central bank meetings this week, not least the Fed Wednesday. And then we'll be looking to the ECB on Thursday. And judging by the current state of uh, risk on that we see out of the Asian session, there is optimism in the markets as ever that we will see still very supportive monetary policy from these central banks. And what about the oil story? Obviously, WTI has led us all on a merry dance. We are focused now on this June contract and the speculation that is febrile in the markets as to whether we can see a repeat of that negative that we saw for the May close when it comes to the June close. But we're some way off yet. This is where we are on the Brent price, $20.95. Deutsche Bank has warned it'll temporarily miss a key capital target due to the impact of the outbreak. But the German financial giant has surprised the market with a first quarter profit as it pre-released part of its earnings. Let's get to Aneta, who has more on the German numbers. So a surprise to get the numbers this Monday morning, Aneta. Was there anything in there you think that the markets will be surprised about? Yeah, actually, I think the market will really concentrate on the revenue figure because we were um, seeing revenues declining quarter after quarter for Deutsche Bank. And nobody really is believing or was believing that they can boost revenue despite cutting all these assets. And here we are. They have uh, revenue is up and it's a lot more than uh, was expected. It stands now at 6.4 billion euros, and that is beating the 5.7 billion euro average estimate. So, um, of course, free tax profit also with 206 million euro, a lot better. And net income, um, it's 66 million euro. It's not an awful lot, but there was prediction for a loss for Deutsche Bank for the first quarter. Of course, that they're missing the capital key is not great, but given the current environment, it's because they lend more than 
they um, previously had expected that at, at least is what they are saying. So it seems that Deutsche, especially in investment banking, could also benefit from the surge in client trading and the violent market swings we have seen. And that uh, is is positive because they're joining uh, um, the Wall Street um, banks, which also benefited from those large swings in the markets. Um especially the equity markets, but also the debt markets, which we're, we're, we're seeing um, big movement. So all in all, it should be a positive surprise. Um, also for the share price today, we don't have early market indications as of yet, but I think in 20 minutes times, the pre-market um, will open here in Germany and we should get some understanding of what investors make of these numbers. So, um, yeah, to sum it up, I think it's a positive surprise given the difficult market environment. And of course, Deutsche Bank wants to be a solution to the coronavirus crisis. And they are saying they do lend a lot more because clients need them a lot more. But they're also warning that there will be a high level of credit default this year, and perhaps also next year, given the crisis and what it does to the economy. So that's back to you. Terrific, Annette. Thank you. We'll see you a little bit later on as we get further updates on this story and market reaction. Still to come, survival at stake. We're going to find out why the CEO of Airbus has issued a harsh warning to staff. We'll be right back. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. President Trump cancelled both of his daily coronavirus press briefings over the weekend, saying they were, quote, not worth the time and effort. The U.S. leader has blamed the media for asking hostile questions and reporting fake news following his suggestions that disinfectant could be injected as a COVID-19 treatment. This came after the president walked out of Friday's press conference without answering any questions. A coronavirus press briefing has been set for today, but it's unknown if the president will attend. David McCourt joins us, founder and CEO of Granahan McCourt Capital. Um, David, let me just start by asking, and welcome to the programme, by the way, um, how you think the president is doing in terms of managing this crisis for entrepreneurs like yourself? Well, that's an excellent question, and, and I've obviously been a benefit uh, benefactor of of some of his his policies, but I don't think that that any price that he could he could offer any effort any um, benefit that he could offer an entrepreneur would be worth the price of of his leadership. I, I just think it's been awful, my personal opinion, for the country and for the world. It's not been clear. It hasn't been backed up by science. He's not consistent. He doesn't seem to be empathetic. Uh, in most uh, business courses would tell you that to be a good leader, you want your issues and the people you're leading to be the same. You wouldn't be empathetic to those you're leading and have the same issues. 
and he just doesn't seem to get it from from my optic anyway i I think it's been terrible fortunately many state and uh, city leaders have stepped up it seems in the u.s and there has been a local approach that has uh, delivered uh, results in various places. I just wonder, as you look at the state of the economy now and the continued focus on fighting the pandemic, how quickly or otherwise do you think we might start to see the U.S. come through the other end of this? Well, depends what you mean by come through the other end. One of the problems that I think you you understand or your show understands is the recovery is going to be hotter and longer than we expect because, and there'll be more credit defaults like that earlier guest was talking about, because the systematic of fundamental problems with our jobs and our skills versus the jobs of the future. You know, one's at a negative glide slope and one's at a, a positive glide slope. So we have a fundamental problem on top of all the job loss from COVID, which in my estimate, I would guess only 80% of those jobs will ever come back. And I think The Economist said this week that globally there could be 190 million jobs um, furloughed or, or temporarily lost globally, and that will come, of course, in waves. But I don't think more than 80% of them will ever come back. I mean, business administrative people won't be the same. Travel won't be the same. Hospitality won't be the same. Live events won't be the same. Transportation won't be the same. Education, you know, they, they go, you can go right down the list. So I, th- I think we have the system, the systemic problem that we had from the beginning, and on top of that, we have the COVID problem. Where I don't think twenty percent of those jobs are ever coming back. That's my view, anyway. David, very good morning to you. Fascinating listening to your thoughts about the president as well. But what about entrepreneurs as well? I'm on your Twitter feed as we speak, and it says number one rule for entrepreneurs, don't ask others to risk what you aren't willing to as well. Seems to me that there's some very big entrepreneurs out there, dare I say it, some billionaires as well, who are very, very quick to ask the state to bail out their companies, to bail out their businesses as well, when they're sitting on vast piles of cash, which they've made during the good times. There should be more action from them themselves, shouldn't there? 100%. 100%. Look, for the last 50 years, I'm glad you're on my Twitter feed, by the way. Thank you. For the last 50 years, there's been a battle between between capitalism in, in America in Washington, D.C., and they've been fighting each other. And that's a different America than I started my business in. It's a different America than I grew up in. But that constant battle where Washington is blaming big business and big, blame is, big business is blaming Washington has got us nowhere. Of course, business has to step up. Businesses are supposed to contribute to the community and make a profit. It seems over the last 50 years, they've been on a trajectory to extract value and not contribute value. And that's not good. It's not good for America and it's not good for the global economy. And someone's going to fix it. And uh, whoever fixes it's not going to be qualified, I'm sure, because it will come from Washington and their solution is going to make it worse. So the capitalism that I grew up in was very, very different than what's happening right now. So I agree with you. Yeah, so I, agree and I think. Yeah, David, I was just going to say, um, Jeff and I have, and, and Karen as well, for a very long time, have bemoaned buybacks just to inflate the value of stocks rather than using that money on individuals, on investment, on capex as well. This is a lot of chickens coming home to roost now, and the fact that there isn't the cash piles available uh, to offset the economic malaise, isn't it? There's something very, very wrong uh, in the stock market, in corporate attitudes, that has actually meant that the billions wasted on buybacks is not available now to invest. 
you're, you're, that's a, that's a hundred percent right. I, I I think I talked about that in my book, and I couldn't agree with you. I couldn't agree with you more. So what governments have to do if they're going to bail out big companies, they have to get the taxpayers have to get the equity. The taxpayers have to get the equity in those companies. So when the recovery comes, the money can be given back to the government, or ultimately to the taxpayers. Because you're hundred percent right. If they if they make billions of dollars over a five or a 10 year period of time, they don't have that cash stockpile for when there's a problem like this. So it's unfair for the taxpayers to bail them out, in my view anyway. Uh, David, you are a uh, specialist in telecommunications and broadband in particular. Can I just take the opportunity while we have you to ask you about the telecom and the internet? Clearly, this whole stay-at-home situation means that people have uh, fallen back on this resource very heavily. We look at these businesses, though, and we ask ourselves, will they be able to make higher profits from this additional usage? I'd be interested to get your read on the sector and what the opportunity may be for investors. Well... The sector is obviously doing pretty well. You saw Netflix number last quarter, 15.8 million new subscribers. Uh, last, if you, if you measure a, uh, on a weekly basis, just in America alone, there's 50 billion minutes more per week of video streaming. So that piece of the sector is doing, is doing quite well. The problem, the way I see it, is, is the rural-urban divide. In the rural areas, no one, no one can uh, can access telemedicine and education over the internet, or let alone entertainment, because they just don't have the bandwidth, and that's the problem. Some of these profits that are made in the urban environments need to be pushed back into the rural environments. Having a fiber in your home should be a a uh, sort of an essential service. It should be part of what you get when you when you live there, whether it's rural or urban, and it's unfair that there's an urban-rural divide in that regard, because we're going to see huge changes in the way people are educated, the, the way people deal with their doctors, the way people deal with everything that you used to deal with by going, driving or flying to another location. So I think some of that excess profit that you spoke about has to get pushed back into the rural areas where people don't have the same advantages that you or I have in, in London or in New York or in Los Angeles. David, appreciate the time this morning. Thanks for joining us. David McCall, Uh, founder. My my pleasure. Thank you. Founder and CEO of uh, Granahan McCourt Capital. And a man you'll make very happy if you go and look at his Twitter feed, apparently. Uh, The Treasury has released an additional $9.5 billion to support the U.S. airline industry. It brings the total amount distributed to $12.9 billion. The funds can be used to cover employee wages, salaries and benefits. The Treasury says the loans come with the conditions that no jobs or pay are cut through to September and that buybacks and dividends are halted. Air France KLM set to receive 7 billion euros from the French government. The finance minister Bruno Le Maire says the package is needed to save the French airline amid an unprecedented industry crisis, but warned the money does come with strings attached. The CEO of Airbus, meanwhile, has warned the group's survival is at stake in a memo to employees seen by Reuters. Uh, Guillaume Faure said the company is, quote, bleeding cash at an unprecedented speed. Let's get out to Charlotte, who's got more on this story. That sounds pretty serious, Charlotte. 
You're right, Jeff. And you know, as you just mentioned, the main clients of Airbus Airlines are caught in the storm. And the second line of being hit, about to be hit by the wave of that storm, of course, is the airline manufacturers. And here, Airbus warning uh, that the situation for them, it could be very difficult. Uh, they have slashed production already by a third in the past few weeks. Uh, they had, including their blockbuster plane, the A320, uh, down to 40 from 60 originally. And that's the most popular plane. Uh, they've also withdrawn their 2020 guidance already and suspended dividends. That's already measured that they've taken in the past few weeks. They're saying they are running out of cash and that they, that they need to act urgently to reduce this cash out. Uh, we know as well that they've withdrawn credit facilities already for about 15 billion euros. Of course, Airbus is one of these companies that would be very much on the list of the French government as strategic companies that would be helped if needed, if not nationalized. At the moment, Airbus said they might need state aid, and certainly not nationalization at the moment, but maybe aid. Uh, of course, airlines are trying to defer some of the orders that they made, if not cancel, and it's rare for airlines to cancel because penalties, penalties can be quite high. But with airlines desperate to hold on to the little cash that they have, uh, some have already cancelled some of their orders. And of course, Airbus has to adapt to all this. They've also um, kept their factories open. They, they closed them just for a very few days. They kept them open, but with very, very um, much slower pace of production and reassessing their whole design of the industry with not only the short-term impact of this crisis, but when we airlines and when we travel go back to normal. And of course, airlines readapting to this new world and impacting on how they redesign their their, their, their business here and very much having an impact on Airbus, which shares down about 60% uh, in the past two months only. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.